1: Grace and peace to you, and welcome to Radio for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now, this is a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for, and then find it to the full, and that's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. 10. And today we begin a brand new series called Us and Them. This is going to be an eye-opener series for a lot of people, especially for those of us with a plank in our eye. What? No, not me. It's those guys with a problem. Pastor Sean Azaro is going to unpack this idea that there is no us and them, it's all us, and that the church should be the healing community for anyone in need of Jesus. Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free, but if you feel led right now to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reallife.org. The name of this message is called Us and Them. Pastor Sean is teaching from Matthew 5 and John 4. It's time for Radio for Real Life.
2: All right, last week we told you we're starting a new series called Us and Them. Us and Them, all right? Because we live in an us and them world. And it's gotten like crazy, us and them. Really bad. I mean, there's kind of the more fun and harmless us and them, all right? For some reason, God in his wisdom has chosen to put an inordinate number of Chicago Bears fans and Green Bay Packers fans together in this church. I'm a Chicago Bears fan, so I understand that part. The Green Bay Packers fans, I think, is to torture me, okay? Okay. I love our Green Bay Packers fans, all right, and we have this great rivalry, it's, for, it's one of the oldest in the NFL, and you know, we speak of those people from Wisconsin, they pe- speak of those people from Chicago, it's, it's great fun, all right, but it, there's also this affinity that we share together, so it's an us and them, but it's more relaxed, but there's a an us and them that has crept into our world that is not so friendly, not so fun, and and. It, it's pervasive. It's everywhere. Politics has, has broken, and, and so that literally almost any area, it's impossible to just enjoy free of this us-and-them hard division. You can't enjoy sports. I can't just go to a football game and just enjoy football and enjoy ripping on Aaron Rodgers. That's really fun. You should try it. But I can't do that. I can't just have fun at a sporting event with rivals, and we can't, you know, have fun together because of the divide. And it's everywhere, us and them, and it gets ugly, and it gets political. The arts, entertainment, whatever it is, this divide is everywhere. It is deep, and it is ugly, and it is decades in the making. But it is coming to a head in a dangerous way in our culture. Many of you read that on Friday the Mueller report was presented to Congress. Good news, that part of the divide is all going to be over. Whew. That's the end of it. Praise God. Isn't it great that's going to be behind us? <laughs> People are cynically snickering because you know, he could write eeny, meeny, miny, moe on that thing and it wouldn't matter. Okay? He could write whatever he wants because the divide is so deep so personal. And you can't even talk about it. Yeah. F- fascinating thing. Uh, Bill Maher, in his show Real Time with Bill Maher, made this statement regarding the Mueller report and regarding our president. He said, I don't need the Mueller report to know he's a traitor. I have a TV. Even his audience, even his audience was a little bit kind of like, are, are you serious, dude? Really? Trial by TV? Is this, what we're, is this what we've come to? One of his guests said, well, anybody who has a Twitter account or a TV knows. You know, Trial by Twitter? Are you really going to say that seriously? Stop and think about that. Trial by TV. Trial by Twitter. There's this ridiculous brokenness. And what I want to say tomorrow is, okay, well, that's cool. I have a TV too. Which TV do you, which program do you watch? Because here's the deal. News has been had this divide going for years. I can't find, it's so difficult to find a news program or a news source that isn't unbelievably biased and divided in this deal. I think a big majority are divided one way, the rest are divided the other way. And so I have a TV too. I watch news and it tells me what I want to hear. Because don't we sit and we kind of try to justify and verify our biases by watching the, the news program that most agrees with what I kind of already think? Stop and understand. Here's the problem. So you've got this news problem. We can't talk to each other. We can't, we, I can't sit down. I can't find people who, who have different views on the issues of the day. I can't have a conversation because it's so emotional and so personal and so divided. It's like, I don't want to talk to you about that. We haven't even gotten by, Hello. You just think you might know what I think on something. I can't talk to you about that. Seriously? Okay, so if we can't talk and listen to each other, so I can't be influenced by other people, and I can't influence anybody, and if our news is not trustworthy because they're horribly politically divided, and I don't listen to the other news because it makes me so angry, so I just listen to the news that agrees with me, how in the world do we ever change, grow, or learn? And what happens is the divide just goes deeper and deeper, and gets uglier, more personal. It's messed up. In Jesus' day, the divide was over religious issues. I mean, there were other things as well, but the religious issues were, were huge. Israel, God's people, had been under multiple different empires that had, that had taken them over. The Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks. In Jesus' time, it was the Romans. And so they had taken some commands by God, to remain pure, to not embrace the sin of the nations around them. And they had taken that to such hyper levels that they were completely exclusive. And they didn't engage or interact. And they, especially the religious of the day, kept completely to themselves. And Jesus came and kind of threw a bomb into the whole thing and blew it all up. Because he had a totally different approach. If you have your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter 9. I want you to see how Jesus broke the mold. Matthew chapter 9. We read, Jesus went on from there. From where? Well, he had just healed a man who had been paralyzed from birth. His friends brought him on a stretcher to Jesus, and Jesus healed him. And then Jesus was, of course, criticized by certain religious leaders for how he did it. He says, he went on from there, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up, and he followed him. He just got up, and he followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Now, so Matthew, this tax collector, goes and he has Jesus over. He follows him, has Jesus over for dinner. Now, Matthew had his friends were tax collectors and others like him. Luke actually refers to it as a great banquet. He had a great banquet. So Matthew's a guy with a lot of money, and he opens his home and has this big party with his friends to meet this Jesus who he got up and he followed. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now, you see this, tax collectors and sinners, it's not distinguishing the sinners from the tax collectors. No, no, no. They were a special kind of sinner that deserved their own designation. I'll explain that in a minute, but you just need to know that. They came and ate with him and his disciples. While, When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Wait a minute, wait a minute. This is that Matthew, the tax collector, who's a notorious sinner, It's at his house. What are the Pharisees even doing there? Because you know they weren't on the guest list. He invited a bunch of his friends. They're not on the guest list, but yet they're there. Imagine this courtyard. Imagine a a Middle Eastern home with this big courtyard, all these people feasting. And imagine these Pharisees almost sneaking up, looking over the wall. And it says, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You need to know this was not like some interested question. Oh, tell us why. Why does he do that? This is an accusation. Why does your teacher do what is clearly sinful? And you see them sneaking up over the wall and going, psst, psst, come here, ps, yeah, you, come here. And one of the disciples, you know, goes and asks, why does he do that? Well, look what happens. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's, wait a minute, on hearing this, they, they're talking to the disciples, it's a big party, great banquet, Luke says. How's Jesus here? I don't know, he's got his Jesus super hearing, Okay. Maybe he was close by and he heard it, maybe he just knew what they were asking, but he's the one who answers. They ask the disciples, he gives the answer. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Interesting. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's quoting from their scriptures that they knew well, Hosea chapter 6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The Pharisees were good at sacrifice. They sacrificed a lot to keep their separatism. I mean, they went through the rituals. It wasn't like it was without cost. And he says, Jesus says, but I desire mercy. You can almost see Jesus looking at these people, talking to them, and looking, I desire mercy, not to sacrifice. He's quoting the scripture to them. Figure out what that means, gentlemen. He says, for I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinner." Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray that we would hear your heart. And I pray that we would have the courage to walk in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, real quickly, a profile of a tax collector so you understand what we're talking about here. Tax collectors, it's a fine translation. It's fine. But it was, what we're talking about is, is tolls, customs, and tariffs, most likely. This isn't like just sales tax. This is is more commerce. Capernaum was a, a city right on the Sea of Galilee. It was a coastal city. It was a port. And so Matthew is collecting customs and tariffs on kind of a bigger scale, most likely. And what's interesting about the tax collector, and you need to know this, they had to bid to get the contract to be the tax collector because it was really lucrative. They had to bid to get that contract. You know, the only thing I, I think of, the thing that pops into my head when I think about that kind of thing is, you know, in, in New York, there's only so many medallions for taxi cab drivers. And they have, to, they have to buy those things. And it's a bid process. And if you have one, it's precious. Don't lose it. Okay? And so it's, I think it's kind of like that. They had to bid to get that. And then they were paid based on how much they collected. That system created all kinds of corruption, abuse. Dishonesty. The system was known. Tax collectors were known for being corrupt and dishonest. These are not upstanding people. It's not that there were some good ones, some bad ones. The system was really bad and it it absolutely encouraged corruption. And that's what we're talking about. They were considered traitors and thieves by their people, they were hated and despised. They were like underworld kind of criminals. So much so that if you needed a witness to testify for you in court, their testimony wasn't accepted. No, no, he saw. Okay, sir, what do you do? I'm a tax collector. Yeah, you need another witness. It's a true story. They were dishonest to the point of it being, yeah, we can't really trust them in business. We can't trust them in court. And so that's who we're talking about when we talk about the tax collectors and we talk about Matthew. And I just want to begin by saying what an odd choice of a leader That Jesus made. Odd choice of leader. Let me just tell you, we we have what we call the four C's for selecting a leader. Character, calling, competency, and chemistry. How are they going to fit? How are they going to fit with the culture of the organization? It starts with character. When we're looking for a leader, the first thing we look for is character. Obviously, Jesus looked at Matthew and he saw something else, didn't he? He saw something else. Because what we're told is... Matthew, Jesus goes and says, follow me. And Matthew immediately gets up and follows him. Luke actually says he left everything. He got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. In other words, the money, the table, the business, the license, the bid, all of it. He just walks away. He gets up and follows Jesus. How did Jesus do it? Did Jesus make a big thing? Come, follow me, with a slightly English accent? Probably. I almost more see Jesus just walking up behind Matthew. Matthew, come, follow me. And he just does. See, what Jesus saw that nobody else could really see, Matthew had a hungry heart. A hungry heart, which is the number one qualification for a disciple. Understand, Jesus wasn't selecting a leader at that time, he was just selecting a disciple. Matthew would become a leader. But he had the one qualification that a disciple must have, and that is a hungry heart. Somehow Matthew, Now, Matthew's a text collector in Capernaum. That was Jesus' hometown at this time. That's his home base. That's where he was living and operating from as he moved throughout the region and did his ministry. So Matthew got to see Jesus a lot. I can imagine Matthew doing his work, and with one ear, he's listening to Jesus say these things I've never heard a religious rabbi say. It's watching him heal people and show compassion to people that the other religious people wouldn't, have, wouldn't give the time of day to. He's seeing this, and something in his heart is going, Oh, God, I've longed for that. And through all the cynicism and all the dirt and all the junk that it built up in his heart, this hunger breaks through. So that when Jesus says, Matthew, come, follow me, he just gets up, leaves everything, and follows him. See, Jesus saw Matthew's
1: heart. And we want to take a quick minute to remind you you're listening to Radio for Real Life with Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church in this message and series called Us and Them, which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. And if you've been blessed by this teaching and ministry, please let us know with a quick note at reallife.org or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry encourage others. Find the Give tab at reallife.org.
2: God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church.
1: And now back to the message, Us and Them. This is Radio for Real Life.
2: And with that heart that is so unbelievably blessed and encouraged just to be near Jesus, let alone called by him, he holds a party for his friends and, you know, the great banquet that Luke talked about. And it's then that the Pharisees ask that question. That accusation. And Jesus' response is worth taking a look at. He says, it's not the healthy, but the sick who need a doctor. Is he saying there are some who are healthy who don't need a doctor? I don't think so, but let's hold on with that. Haven't you learned what it means? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I came to call sinners, not the righteous, to repentance. Is Jesus saying, wait a minute, there's some people who are well on their own, and they don't need me. There's some people who are righteous on their own. I don't think he is. I think that is a rebuke. He's saying, wake up, gentlemen. Do you understand what this whole thing is about? I think there's a powerful rebuke. And I think Jesus was communicating a point that we would do well to remember, and it's this. Write this down if you're taking some notes. When it comes to being broken by sin, there is no us and them. There's just us. When it comes to being broken by sin, there is no us and them. There's just us. That's what Jesus is trying to get them to remember and to recognize. I mean, they should have known this. Everybody everybody in that culture should have known this. I mean, my gosh, they, they go to Jerusalem all the time. There's the sacrificial system. There's the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement once a year as kind of the culmination of all the sacrifices for sin that were made. The day of atonement was a sacrifice for sin for all of us. All the nation of Israel. And the high priest, remember? The sacrifice we made and the high priest would go before, not just in the holy place, but in the holy of holies. Before the Lord. Where that huge kind of veil, heavy veil, separated. And you remember, he would go in to bring atonement for the people and our sins. And their sins. And you remember what they had to do. They tied a rope around the guy's leg in case the sin offering was not accepted, in case there was insincerity, or in case in his own heart there was insincerity. Because if there was, he would be killed. That's how serious the sin issue was. And his other priests who were friends, uh, they're not, we're not going in to get you, dude. If that happens, you're, you're, you're on your own, but we will tie a rope around your leg and we will pull you out. God bless you. Good to have friends like that. I know if anything like that happened, our staff would put the rope around me and pull me out. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. But it's like, we're not going in there. That's how serious. And they all knew it. They all understood. That's what the Day of Atonement meant. So how could they get so lost? How could they be so blind to forget this central principle? When it comes to being broken by sin, there is no us and them. It's just us. We're all in this thing together. I think there's a couple ways, a couple points I want to point out that I think... Reveal a lot to us. First thing I want us to understand. Seeing others clearly begins by seeing myself more clearly. Seeing others clearly begins by seeing myself more clearly. Listen, this is really important. The biggest problem in this passage was not how those Pharisees saw them, the other people. It's how they saw themselves That's the real problem in the passage. They were absolutely accurate. They were right in assessing that Matthew and his friends were sinners. They were real sinners. They were vile sinners. The problem is, their huge error was in acting like they weren't the same. That's the problem. Their biggest error was to see themselves differently. This is the core of the us and them problem, isn't it? This is the core of the us and them problem. We see sins in other people and go, man, they are bad. And we don't understand, wait, our heart's exactly the same. Our heart's exactly the same. It may have different manifestations. It may look different. I may target it towards different people or different actions or whatever. But it's the same. And we get this us and them. When when it comes to being broken by sin, there is no us and them. There's just us. You remember when Jesus told the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee praying together. And the Pharisee's prayer, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men, sinful, like this tax collector here. I thank you that I pay my tithes regularly. I thank you that I give, that I sacrifice, that I keep the law, that I keep the Sabbath. I thank you, God, that I'm not like these others. And Jesus, in the story, says that tax collector couldn't even raise his head to look up to God as he prayed. He literally, his head down, says, and he, he uses descriptive language, he says he beats his breast, his chest, and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus looks at his audience and says, which of these two men do you think walked away from that time of prayer justified before God? And the answer was obvious problem is when we get into this thing of thank God I'm not like them. Because Jesus says that's where you begin to go wrong. In Matthew 7, Jesus makes a statement that is quoted often. It's a powerful statement. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. And he says the way in which you judge others is how you will be judged. And even goes on and says the measure you use, whether that's a measurement. A, what volume, whatever. What, the measure that you use is the measure that's going to be used for you. And then he gives this illustration. It's a great illustration. Beginning verse 3. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? I mean, Jesus is being intentionally a little ridiculous here. A plank in your eye. You're trying to get the speck out of your brother's eye, but you got a problem because there's a plank. And doggone it, this plank's longer than my arm. I can't, I'm trying, I have my tweezers at your eye, but I can't because this plank in my eye. It's a, that's the picture he's painting. It's not me, you think it's too silly for church, it's Jesus, okay? Blame him. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Dude, that speck is really bugging me. you got a thing in your eye. I mean, he's, he's intentionally pointing out how ridiculous this is. He says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He's not saying you should never remove a speck from your brother's eye. But I wonder if I'll be a little more compassionate, a little more merciful in helping a brother remove a speck from his eye when I've just had surgery removing a plank from my own. When he goes, ow, 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 that hurts. Will I be a little more sympathetic when, like, I know, dude. Is he saying that my brother's sin is less than mine? I don't think he is. I don't think he's saying you're so sinful with a plank and your brother only has a speck. I think the reality is whatever sin is in someone else's heart and life, I only see the little iceberg, the little tip of the iceberg, the speck. But my own sin, if I'm honest, if I'll be honest about it, oh, it's a plank. I can see it clearly. I can see that this, I've got a plank. If I'm honest, got a plank in my own eye. Let me make sure I've dealt with the plank. I've brought that to the cross. I've been forgiven and set free. And then if from that position of humility and love for my brother, if God moves in my heart and I have the ability to help him remove the speck from his eye, then in humility, I'll do that. Once I've removed the plank from my own eye, I identify with my brother. And here's a point worth remembering. It is much harder to judge people with whom I identify. As long as they're them, those people, then it's really easy to sit in judgment from a distance. That's why there's so much judgment in our culture right now, the us and them culture. It's crazy. But the minute I begin to identify with them, Go, oh, I've, I've got, I got a big old plank in my eye too, and I mean, I've been pretty judgmental. I've been, I've been kind of biased towards people. I've, I've treated people badly. Now it's much harder to judge them because I realize there's no us and them. It's just us when it comes to brokenness of sin.
1: That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Radio for Real Life, and if you'd like to hear this full message in the series "Us and Them," it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And there, if you're able to bless back, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue and bless others. Again, look for the Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Ratama Park, with service times on Saturday nights at 5 and Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.15. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. This radio for Real Life is a ministry of River City Community Church.